I love that. Is, isn't it refreshing to hear the story of Christmas from the mouths of children? The, the narrative sometimes changes, obviously. They get a little more creative with it. Um, but the gist of the story and the joy associated with it all still very much intact. And how could it not be? I mean, when you're a kid, just about everything associated with Christmas falls on the plus side of the ledger sheet, right? When you're a kid, there's no stress about how we're going to fit it all in this holiday season. There's no obligation in regards to who's going where and buying who, what, and how much are we spending this year. There's no anxiety about uh, an upcoming impending January credit card bill showing up in your inbox. None of that. Through the eyes of children, Christmas is pretty much 100% unadulterated good news. And think about it. Two weeks, no school, good news. Walking by the tree, there's presents everywhere, many which bear your name. That's good news. Knowing you're going to get to hang out with people that, that, that you love, who you know love you, and are going to communicate that, or in, in some cases, they're going to try to overcompensate for lack of communicating that by buying you even more presents. More good news. I, I think you, 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 know, you throw in the what we as a culture do on top of that in terms of uh, just the joy and anticipation and all the extras and, and it equates to good news for us. I, I don't know about you, but I still remember uh, being a kid on Christmas Eve and hearing the meteorologist from KTRE Channel 9, the East Texas news leader, interrupt the weather forecast to say, okay, kids, we just spotted Santa on weather radar. He's north of Dallas. He's going to be making his way southeast within the hour. So if you haven't already done so, make preparations and go to bed. Santa Claus is coming to town. I would hear them say that and go, good news, Santa is coming to town. And somewhere in the middle of it all, you know this, the, the songs that we sing, the decorations that we see, the, the stories that get told, stories of, of this Jesus who, who was born in a manger in Bethlehem <laughs> for us. I mean, it's like this is, this is God who, who, who sent his son to us to communicate his love for us. That, that was good news. And it wasn't just how we understood it either. I mean, from the very beginning, when an angel showed up to a group of shepherds uh, who were somewhere outside of Bethlehem and announced what was taking place, they announced it as good news. Remember this? They said, behold, I bring you, help me out here. Good news. Oh, you can do better than that. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That'll be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And when the New Testament writers when they tried to process this and try to, to package it in some terminology that would be transferable throughout time, the, the word that they associated with it was this Greek word, euangelion. Euangelion, it translates into English as, as the gospel, a term that literally means good news. And here's what I know about you, even though I may not know you. That regardless of where this Christmas season finds you when it comes to God, when it comes to faith, when it comes to religion, regardless of where you sit right now with your current beliefs as, as, as they relate to, you know, to, to Jesus, uh, to Christianity, to, even to the implications of the, the songs that we sing and the story that we, we tell this season of the year. If not at this point, at some point in your past, 
I imagine the story of Christmas was good news to you too. And I get it. Just because you're here doesn't mean internally you're there. So maybe not today. But, but if we could sort of rewind the hands of time and go back in time, I bet every one of us would go back to a day where this good news brought about a very real sense of all is calm, all is bright in our world as well. You know, for some people, for some of us, to even think about that, it, it brings about this bit of nostalgia, right? It's like, it's like looking through an old family photo album and seeing the nine-year-old version or the 10-year-old version of us that was all smiles. Or family albums aren't your thing. It's like looking on your, your iCloud account, those moments when we peruse through and we're thinking we need to delete some of these photos because we don't want to pay for the upgrade. And, and we come across the we come across the college version of us, or we come across the, the workout version of us. That's a good version. We come across the just married version of us, and we look at those smiles, and we look at that joy, and we can't help but think, if not say out loud, what happened? Like for some of us, the answer is really simple. What happened? We would say, well, time happened. Like particularly when it comes to faith, when it, when it comes to the story of Christmas, it's just like the good news, it, it's no longer new news and like everything else in life, we sort of just move on and, and we adjust accordingly. For some people, what happened, the answer to that would be that life happened. The disappointment happened. I'm telling you, after a couple of decades of, of, of doing what I do, man, unexpected, unexplainable, seemingly unwarranted pain, that has a way of putting some dings and dents in your faith, and some people never recover. For some people, it seems to deplete their faith altogether. Others of you might say, I, I wish it were that easy. But Kevin, for me, when I think about this, it, man, it's just complicated. It's complicated. It's not as much maybe one thing as it is probably a thousand different things. And trying to get to the bottom of that, it's like trying to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop. Like the world may never know. And if that's you, if that's you, I want you to know, I get that. I, I really do. And so my agenda this morning isn't to try to provide a, an explanation that will be suitable uh, for all the complexity that has been your life. Neither am I here to try to offer a, you know, just a, a blanket Sunday morning answer to all the questions you have in your question bag as it relates to life, as it relates to God. What I want to do for the next few minutes is simply remind me and perhaps remind you of what it is that makes this good news of great joy for all people so incredibly good in the first place. So if you have a Bible or you would prefer to pull one up on your phone or tablet and follow along today, you can do that in the New Testament book of John. Uh, John chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. I think in order for us to get a picture of all that this good news means for us, it would probably serve us well to try to gain an understanding from those who originally encountered it. People who didn't just hear a story, but people who came face to face with it. And as a result, they had to process the reality of this in their lives. John, the guy who wrote what we're about to read, John was one of those guys. John was a guy who knew Jesus like no one else 
knew Jesus. And much to our benefit, as an old man, he sat down and he shared his experience. He shared his insight in hopes that we might know him too. I want you to listen to what John writes. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, which oddly enough starts in the beginning. Listen to what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, is it just me, or does it sound like, like riddle me that, Batman? I mean, the Word, like, what, what, what's he talking about? Well, in the original language of Scripture, this, this terminology it meant a lot of different things, but to John's original audience, when, when they heard this term just by itself, without any context, it would, have, it would have prompted them to think of just sort of this impersonal, abstract idea of order and reason in the universe. It wasn't overtly spiritual, just sort of along the lines of, of a creative force. For the Jewish mind, they took it a step further, and they said, oh no, the word, that's, that's like divine power in divine wisdom. And what we're about to see in John chapter one is that John takes all those generic ideas and he's about to, about to single them down and take all of that something and tie it directly to a someone. Listen to what he says in verse three, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And again, if you're tracking along and, and you're sort of new to Bible study, it's like, I, it sounds inspirational. Maybe um, a couple questions like, who's he? Like, like you keep saying, through him, all things were, were made, that, that he's life and he's, he's, he's light. And this this is where John is about to connect all of this mystery to the story of the nativity. Check this out. Skip down a few verses to verse 14. Here's how he defines it. He said, the word became flesh. It made his dwelling among us. He's like, okay, John, so you're talking about the word, this, this God, like, coming to us, becoming like us. And John would say, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. He said, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Are, are you seeing this? John is saying, hey, listen, this Jesus that you sing about and you celebrate, this Jesus who was born in a manger in Bethlehem, I'm telling you, he, he was life. And in him was like light in the middle of the darkness. If we were to ask John, John, what's so good about this good news? John would say, don't you see it? The good news, the good news means that into our problem, God sent a person. It means that into our problem, God sent a person. Think about it like this. You and I, we're pretty smart individuals, so we can usually tell the severity of a problem by determining by determining what it's gonna to take to fix it, right? You tell me what the solution is, and I'll tell you how bad it is. For example, if I told you the solution to the problem is a Band-Aid, you would immediately know, okay, everybody's gonna be all right. Now, if you're a parent, our kids, 
try to alert us to something different. He's like, but I'm bleeding. Can I get two of them? And you're rushing over. He's like, no, the door of the Explorer one. That'll make it. Like, Band-aid, no, 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 no big deal. We, we can take care of that. On the other hand, if I told you the solution to the problem was a, a fire extinguisher, well, then that's a different story. I mean, there's homeowner policy associated with that, maybe a, 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 a deductible that you're going to have to pay that's associated um, with that. That paints, paints a different story. Now, guys, you know, for everything in between that, uh, a fire extinguisher and a Band-Aid, there's duct tape, and uh, <laughs> that's how we do things. I still remember uh, being a kid and my mom telling my dad about, you know, hey, the car's doing this, and he goes out and gets a hammer and duct tape, and we're, like, looking at each other like, I don't know what's going to happen here. So there are some exceptions uh, to the rule. In, in fact, uh, just play along for just a second. If I told you that the answer to the problem was a deputy sheriff, you might imagine that the problem was pretty severe. But Laurie and I took our kids to visit my uh, parents over um, Thanksgiving break. And I woke up one morning and was reading the the Lufkin Daily News, my hometown newspaper, and I, I came across this. Check, check this out. It says, Angelina County deputies were called to a house on Blackburn Switch Road after a man and his sister began physically fighting over a sausage biscuit Thursday morning. <laughs> Could you imagine being that officer? Uh, okay, what, what's going on here? You know, maybe he's got his hand on his on his taser or his gun, and like, what's the root of the problem? Ah, oh, that's my sausage biscuit. <laughs> Unbelievable. And these are my people. This is where I come from. I called my cousins. I told them to knock it off. We don't want our family name drugged through the mud like that. So every now and then, there's a disconnect, right, that leaves us scratching our head. But for the most part, if you give me the solution, I can somewhat diagnose the severity. We, we all can. Now, I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine the severity of the problem that would cause the God of the universe to step out of heaven and enter humanity in order to address it. John says, guys, th this is light coming into darkness. And you got to know that the darkness that John describes prior to that moment, it's as dark as dark could be. You see, this isn't that we were doing okay and we could just use an extra hand down here. This was that our sinful nature had left us hopeless and helpless and powerless to do anything about it. Now, that's different. Because typically when we, when we think about sin and sinful nature, if, if that's even a thing for you, if you even think in those categories, here, here's how that thought process goes for us. We think, well, you're born into this world cute and cuddly and innocent. And then over time, through the choices you make and the, the things we say, the stuff we engage in, uh, we eventually start to become corrupt a little bit at a time. It's like sin is something that we accrue. And it makes sense. The problem is, you got to know, Scripture doesn't describe our predicament that way. In fact, one of the New Testament writers who, who wrote just about half of the New Testament, we refer to him as Apostle Paul, he talks about it like this. He said, 
that we come into this thing dead in our trespasses and sin. Not doing okay, not we think we're going to make it, but dead. Dead. Now, you may not be a, a, a Christian and that terminology just be like, hey, that, that's okay for you know, Christian people to, to think about it in that regard. But come on. Every one of us at some point in our life, we feel this internal angst, right? It's, it's like we wrestle with ourselves about ourselves. Like, what's wrong with me? Like, just take God's law out of the equation for just a second. In fact, you could take, you know, uh, government law out of the equation for just a second. Just think about the things that you and I want for you and I. Here's what I want to do this year. Here's what I believe to be good about my health. Here are the choices that I know I need to make. And yet, we can't even live up to our own standard, much less the higher standard of a, of a God. It's sort of like the, the check engine light that, that shows up on the dashboard, right? When we see it, the first thing we want to do after the oh no of that is we want to ignore it. Because we know if I pull this thing over and I dress this problem, then chances are great it's going to take a whole lot of time and it, and it could take a whole lot of money. And both of those things are in limited supply. So what do we do? Well, we just keep driving. We just ignore it. We tell ourselves, I bet it's just a, you know, it's just a gas cap. If we can tighten up the gas cap, everything is going to be okay. But the further we drive, the more we wonder, what if it's worse? Like, what if it's really, really bad? And listen, you might have your own explanation for it. But scripture, scripture says the sheer fact that we wrestle by ourselves about ourselves it's a sign of something much bigger. It's a sign of God's law that's written on our hearts. And you might say, well, I didn't sign up for that. Well, none of us did. This is something that we just come into this world born with. And consequently, it's something that we are born subject to. Now, you may not ascribe to it, but John writes to say, hey, guys, listen, that's the problem that Jesus came into this world to address. The, the Apostle Paul, he followed up this bad news of, you know, we, we come in dead in our trespasses and sin. The very, very next verse. This is how Paul talks about the arrival of Jesus to this earth. He said, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Do you see, this is exactly what John was trying to point to. If, in other words, John, what's the good news? John would say the good news is that into our problem, God sent a person. In other words, the good news is that you and I hold the potential to be made alive because Christ arrived. And you know what I know? When we stop pretending, when we reach those places in life where we go, you know what, I'm, I'm pulling the car over to the side of the road. I'm finally going to address this. I'm going to acknowledge Houston 
we have a problem in that moment, we discover Jesus in all the goodness that's associated with his arrival. So John says, you want to know what's so good about this good news? What starts here? It means that into our problem, God came down in person to us. But he didn't stop there. In fact, John indicates it. Hold on. It gets better. Look down in verse 16. John chapter 1, verse 16, he, he describes it as this. He says, out of his fullness. Now, pronoun, his, we're, we're still talking about the, the word that was connected there in verse 1. We're talking about in verse 14, this God who became flesh and dwelled among us. We've already said, hey, this is Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. And John says, out of his fullness, we have all received, and I'm, I just want to hit pause for just a second. We have all received what? Like if, if John right here just decided, you know what? Bathroom break, TV timeout, gotta go switch the laundry over, and he left it for us. What would you put in that blank? Out of his fullness, we've all received. For some of us, you'd go, well, hey, listen, I, I've seen enough, enough church on TV. To, I know the answer to that blank. The answer to, to that blank is the promise of prosperity. Like Jesus came to this earth to ensure that, that we are financially wealthy and to guard us against anything evil or bad happening to us. Which, it works until it doesn't. So that may not be the blank. Others of you may go, well, you know what? I, I don't really watch TV preaching, not my thing, but I've been around church, and I've been around church people. And here's what my history would tell me. My history would tell me that we fill in that blank with, out of his fullness, we've all received, and the word you would use is judgment. That Jesus is sort of this cosmic Santa who's been making his list and checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice, and when he showed up, it was his way of coming to town. Or he's like the repeating parent. You know, this is the God that looks down at humanity and is basically threatening, don't make me come down there. You know, one, two, you know, parents like this, like you want to answer three for them, like three, three, say three. One, two, one, two. And, 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 and Christ coming to earth is, is God's way of finally counting to three. And he's here to bring judgment. Now, if you have any of those ideas swirling through your mind, pay really, really close attention to what John actually wrote. He says, out of his fullness, we've all received grace in place of grace already given. Grace in place of grace already given. Now, it sounds flowery. It sounds nice. What are you talking about, John? John says, let me tell you what I'm talking about. Verse 17, he says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth, that came through Jesus Christ. And when Moses talks about the law, he's not just talking about the Ten Commandments that we learned about on flannel graph boards as kids in Sunday school. It was much more complex than that. 
When John talks about the law, he's talking about this you know, jigsaw puzzle of more than 600 laws. Moral laws with, with high demands and stern threats. He was talking about ceremonial laws with all these sacrifices and ordinances. So when, when his audience heard this, they felt the weight of that in their life. Every day they lived, they were reminded of this unattainable standard of God. That no matter how hard they worked, no matter how hard they tried, they would never fully and finally get it right. But it didn't deter them. I mean, there were some of them, in fact, a lot of them who said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it the old college try. I'm going to give it my best shot. And so they would do everything they could do to try to be good enough for long enough so that God would be okay with them. Others, they look at that like you and I look at it. They go, hey, listen, if, if this is about being good enough for long enough, I don't stand a chance. And John writes to clue us in, that is the tension that Jesus came to this earth to completely resolve. That the good news doesn't just mean that, that, that into our problem, God sent a person. He says, hey, it, it's, even, it's even bigger than that. It's even better than that. He says, the good news means that from this God, we received a gift that gift is grace. His definition, grace on top of grace. Grace, the uh, unmerited, undeserved favor of God. If you like acrostics, grace, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is my feeble definition. God's means to set right what we would never get right. When I think about this, I think about my grandfather. We all love stories of grandparents who you know, warmed our hearts and they taught us things. And when they left this world, they left this world a better place. But my grandfather was not one of those men. And his story, it wasn't one of those stories. I mean, just by just about every measurable standard, my grandfather was not a good man. I mean, just pick a category. We say, well, how was he as a husband? Not good. He cheated on my grandmother more times than, than either he or she would ever care to admit. My dad used to tell stories of how when they were young, uh, my grandfather would, we lived in a, a dry county, and um, in order to get alcohol, you actually had to do this thing, go, go to Nacogdoches County, we called it crossing the river. You had to cross the river to get your alcohol, and so he said we would go across the river with dad, and he would leave us locked in the car while he went to find his mistress of the night. And sometimes he would, it would be at a bar. Sometimes it would be at a house of someone that they had never even met. He said, just be locked there for hours. So, I mean, obviously, he's not going to win any awards for father of the year. My dad would tell me about how when he was growing up, he was on the high school basketball team. And he said, you know, my dad never came to one single basketball, basketball game I played. Not even one. Didn't show up for, hey, I can only make a quarter. Didn't come. His wedding, dad didn't show up. Grandkids born, granddad wasn't there. And some of it, to some degree, it makes sense because my, my grandfather was an alcoholic. 
And alcoholism destroyed pretty much all of his life, everything he came in contact with. But what, what it left undestroyed, lung cancer, eventually made up the rest. So my granddad, he, he died at the ripe old age of 51. A week before he died, uh, the nurses reached out to my dad and his siblings and, and said, hey, uh, your dad, he's having these horrible nightmares at night, and, and there's not much that, that we can do about it. Maybe you could have somebody come and, and talk to him. And so my dad and my mom, they reached out to their pastor and said, hey, would you, would you go and visit? And so their pastor did what pastors do. He showed up and visited my grandfather. He asked him about his relationship with God, or in that particular case, the lack of. He read to him this verse that many of us are familiar with, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. My grandfather knew a lot of things weren't true of him, but of all the things that weren't true, this one, he knew it was. He knew he had sinned. He knew he had sinned a lot. And that on his own, he, he didn't, he didn't think of himself as a good man. But this pastor, he didn't stop where most pastors stop. Because guys who do what I do, we're really good at delivering bad news. Hey, we are all sinners. So after he read this passage of Romans 3.23, for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, he went on and read the next verse. Romans 3.24. It says, and all are justified by his grace. By his grace that came through the redemption. That came by Christ Jesus. Justified. This theological term that just has such huge, huge significance. If you think about it like this, it's just if I'd never sinned. My grandfather heard this. And the story goes, at that point in his life, he, the cancer had so destroyed his health that he, he could no longer talk. And so he would communicate just by nodding his fist in the affirmative or no. And so the pastor leaned over the bed and said, Hubert, do you want to receive Christ as your Savior? And my grandfather looked up at him and he nodded his fist like this. Less than 24 hours later, my grandfather left this earth for heaven. Now that's crazy. Like those of us who track along in church world, we go, well, you know, praise, praise God, but come on, look. Through the eyes of our flesh, that's crazy. It's like, are you telling me that somebody can live like hell for the entirety of their life, that they can destroy life after life after life, and in the end, at the final buzzer, they can get in? According to John, yeah. How is that? He said, the only way I can explain it is it's grace on top of grace that's already been given. And if that sounds crazy to you, like how do you know, Kevin? Is this something that your family just, you tell yourselves to feel better about this? Listen, it wasn't just my grandfather. 
In Luke chapter 23, the gospel writer Luke tells the story of Jesus hanging on the cross, nearing his final breath. He says that they hung Jesus between two criminals. One of the criminals looked at Jesus and hurled insults at him and just said, like, come on, dude, if you're the son of God, if you are who you say you are, then come on, send your angels, get us down from here, free us from this thing. See, the other criminal said, don't you know who you're talking to? And he looks Jesus in the eye and says, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Whatever that is, would you, would you remember me? And Jesus answered, judgment and condemnation are upon you for your wrong deeds No, that's how we would have written the verse. No, Jesus looked at this criminal who had nothing to offer, who was perhaps minutes away from death. He couldn't come down and be some fantastic Billy Graham missionary to try to, to save the world. He had nothing. And Jesus looked at him in that simple expression of faith and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Grace upon grace. God's means to make right what we'll never get right. And my grandfather and I, we don't share a lot in common except for the fact that like him, I'll tell you, I am a very flawed human being. And so this news, it's good news to me too. When I was a kid, we used to sing about it in church with these words, we would say, grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that'll pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's great grace. It's grace that is greater than all our sin. Translation, good news, good news. That's the gift. I mean, that's what's been hand-delivered and set before you and I. This isn't about us trying to be good enough to somehow be made right with God by working our way in. No, 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 no. This isn't about what we can do for God. This is about what God, through Christ, has already done for us. And I'm telling you, because I was there once too, I'm telling you, there's something inside of us that so much wants to keep this at arm's length that wants to assign it to just a religious thing, that it's just a, a people who, who that, that use it for political leverage. It's just that thing, or it's just something that, that, that crazy Christians tell themselves to try to escape the brutality and the, and the harshness that is this life, that it's not, it's not real. But I just want you to know, if you leave this gift of Christmas unwrapped, this is what you're rejecting. The opportunity to be made right through the grace of God, distributed by Jesus, the Son of God. Can you live another Christmas season without that? Chances are you can. Yeah. You could leave here today and you can continue to try to wrestle with yourself about yourself. You could try to come up with a plan for your insecurities. 
your weaknesses, your failures. But if something happens, if somewhere along the way something happens and you rethink the whole thing, I want you to know this gift, it'll still be available to you even then. As long as there's breath in your lungs, you can unwrap it. The only problem will be at that point, you won't be able to go back and recapture all these years that you lived as if God didn't matter to you because deep down you, you believed you didn't matter to him. But Christmas, come on. Christmas is a reminder, you, you matter to God, even if God doesn't matter to you. So I would plead with you, in light of the goodness of God, in light of all that's on the table, all that's in the box, I would plead with you, open the gift. John summed it up like this. He said he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, it didn't recognize him. He said he came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, get this, he gave the right to be called children of God. Translation, good news. I'm going to ask you to bow with me as we close today. Listen, I know it's It's Christmas. It's like, what would you expect the pastor to talk about? And I imagine that for, for many of us, this hits us in a variety of different places. That for some of us, we've been tracking along with this story for years. And, and, and you would know even now that there, there's been a time in your life where you received this gift for yourself. But in the stories and in the songs of Christmas somewhere along the way, you realize it's not new news to you anymore. And you just kind of become cold and indifferent to it. The passion you once felt, it's not there anymore. And so maybe your response is just in this moment to be reminded of the grace on top of grace that's been extended and given to you that you could be reminded, not of who you are on your best day, but even on your worst day, in the God who loves you even still. There's others here, I'm sure, who've never responded to this message. And whatever symbolism, whatever analogy you want to use, oh, opening the gift, asking Jesus in your heart, whatever the terminology is, you just know that's not true of me. And listen, if I had walked in your shoes, if I had encountered the people you've encountered, I might have some of the same reservations that you have. But I'm telling you, the point of the story is about this. Into our problem, God came down in the flesh. When he could have turned away, he leaned in. And for who we are, in ourselves, by ourselves. He said, hey, don't worry. Grace upon grace upon grace. If today you've never received that gift, I just want to give you an opportunity to do that. 
You simply make a confession. This is the starting line. It's, it's not magical in terms of if you get the words right. It's opening your hands and exposing your heart to God to say, here I am. God, if you, if you really came down, if this is really true, if you really do take our faults and our failures, the things that, that we do, the sin we engage in on purpose, and you make old things new again, if you really do offer forgiveness, if all really can be justified freely through Jesus Christ, I want that for my life. Today, it's a new start. It's a new beginning. Listen, if you said something like that today, would you just look at me for just a second? Just look up at me. I just want to see you eyeball to eyeball. Anybody? Anybody else? Yeah, I see you. Yeah, I see you. Yep. Yeah. I want you to know the Apostle Paul who told us about the bad news and then gave us the good news. Yeah, he, he says this. He said, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things are gone. And behold, all things are made new. That's true of you. That's true of you today. There's a couple of ways that you can respond to this. I'd encourage you to tell somebody. Tell a friend. Tell somebody that you know and trust, somebody who can cheer you on, who would be there for you. You say, well, I don't really know anybody like that. I'll tell you, in just a second, when we begin to sing, you, you could stand up and walk right out of those doors, just in the quietness of the moment. There's an area in the hallway called Connection Point. It's going to be stationed with some people who are there just for you, just to have those conversations. To say, oh, today, new life in Christ. Let me pray with you. Let's talk about that. God, we're grateful that uh, the story of Christmas isn't just a one month out of 12 kind of thing for us. But the benefits of it, the grace upon grace that you extend is at every second of every minute of every day. And today, we open our hands, we open our eyes, and we open our hearts to it all over again. Today, we declare, in spite of what we see, in spite of the world around us, we declare this. This good news is still the best news we've ever heard. God, I pray that today we would commit, in some cases, recommit to make this season the beginning of a brand new season of life where we don't just ascribe or subscribe to something, but we live this out. The grace that we've received, we freely distribute so that others may see, and know, and respond as well. We thank you. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to believe. And God, would you give us hands and feet to respond? It's in your son's name that we pray these things. Amen.